welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Mark Cotter. So Mark is a stem cell biologist and a neurosurgeon at the University of Cambridge. By combining synthetic and stem cell biology, his team has developed Optiox, a benchmark technology for the efficient and consistent production of human cells for use in research, drug development, and cell therapy. He's the founder and CEO of Bit.Bio and the co-founder of the cultured meat startup, Meatable. We're going to ask him all about that today. And Bit.Bio is a synthetic biology company with a focus on developing those cell-based therapies. So Mark, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Hi, James. Thank you very much for the invitation to your podcast. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Mark? Where are you based? I'm based in, the, in Cambridge, actually. Cool. Are you, are you in the office? It looks quite grand where you are at the moment. It's actually uh, my a little home office. Uh, Amazing. So uh, I'm not in the office. Uh, looks very nice. Looks very nice. Cool. So Mark, the way that we start these podcasts is uh, we kind of get you to tell your story. So obviously you've got a right. super interesting background from medicine and stem cell biology and now into mm. entrepreneurship and, and companies. So It'd be great for our listeners if you uh, tell us the long version. Tell us the long version of your story. I started off as a lost mathematician. So I pivoted from oh, medicine wow. to medicine um, very early, um, trying to find purpose, uh, uh, something with purpose. And that uh, brought me down a trajectory of um, wonderful opportunities to serve people, but also um provided me the, the opportunity to, to learn about, you know, the science uh, of biology. And that really drew me in more and more. And I was fantastically, um, you know, happy and, and also fortunate to be able to come to Cambridge for my PhD uh, with, with Robin Franklin. And when I joined him, we were working on a particular brain stem cell we didn't know that it was a stem cell at that point in time, but we were sort of before stem cells became the topic uh, mm. working in the paradigm of regenerative medicine. And of course, that got me very excited. And I thought about um, the, the patients that I was most um, drawn to and uh, most interested in at that point were spinal cord injury patients. And I thought, is there something that we can do from what I've learned in the lab to perhaps change their trajectory? Obviously, you know, this is a condition that um, is very difficult to treat at the moment. We are, we're basically fixing spines uh, rather than, you know, the nerves, uh, the spinal cord that is, that is broken. And so during that uh, time of my, my, my sort of career, we saw the rise and the advent of stem cells. Um, and of course, um, the breakthrough that happened was the first human pluripotent stem cells and, 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 uh, the, and the amazing you know, insight that uh, Shinya Yamanaka provided to, uh, to us that you actually can program a stem cell from, from a skin cell or from, from a blood draw which opened up um, tremendous opportunities, uh, including creating stem cells from, from, from anyone really. And so fired up by this, I thought one way of how we can tackle this um, problem is that the spinal cord injuries is to 
create cell therapies um, that potentially may help regenerative processes. And that really became my mission. I wanted to sort of um, um, see whether I can push forward. Turns out to be a very, very difficult problem, spinal cord injury. But um, I was again, very lucky to be recruited back to Cambridge um, and when the initial stem cell institute was set up and um, by Roger Peterson, who's the, the co-founder of the, of the stem cell institute. And that put me into a very, very particular position because I was at the same time starting off my lab uh, when I was actually still undergoing training uh, as a neurosurgeon. And what it allowed me to do is to benchmark some of the cells that we have been studying from a rodent background, mice and rats, um, against cells that um, I was able to uh, retrieve from, from actual operations on, on human. And what turned out, uh, what, what, what I discovered was um, that um, they, they very much looked alike, but, but they actually behave very differently. So, um, and, and uh, so whilst, for example, the, the, the rat cells, you know, we were able to differentiate them, make, make them functional, turn them into oligodendrocytes, which are support cells of the mm -hmm. brain. Um, the same cell type um, from a human batch didn't like the signals that we were providing them. They didn't actually go and do what we, what we expected them to do. And now, of course, no, we know that there's fundamental differences in biology. At that point in time, I felt like um, the the floor has opened underneath my, my my feet because what I wanted to do with my research is do something that's relevant for 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 the clinic. And I, I realized that you know continuing to only study um, rodent tissue wouldn't really do the trick. So, so we tried to then generate the same cell type using um, stem cell approach. Um, so, and I was very lucky, of course, being supported by Roger Peterson. Uh, but the issue there was that it took about 170 days to get to the cell. And we never knew whether we would actually get to the cell. It was a very complex um, protocol with multiple steps and we had to wait until cells would synchronize, et cetera. And I, frankly, I couldn't find anyone who wanted to do that work um, because <laughs> I had to tell them, let's work six months until you get a cell and then potentially you can do an experiment. But if not, we'll just start from, the, from scratch. And then it's not a compelling really, offer, is it? It's not a very compelling <laughs> offer. And then I had to sort of, uh, uh, look uh, look around me, and it, it seems to be a common problem: this mismatch um, between human biology and uh, and and other species, mm. which is a major contributor to failure uh, in in late stage clinical trials. Um, um, and we can go in that a little bit uh, more in, the, in depth. But for example. Um, companies have generated or have tried to generate um, treatments for dementia um, using animal models. The problem is that mice never get Alzheimer's. <laughs> so you have, to, right. you have to do something to them to introduce something that looks like Alzheimer's. Right. And then you sort of do, do your sort of drug development process and mm. everything looks great. You go into the clinic and it doesn't look so great because you've created something that treats the model, but, but not the condition. And so 
you know, getting that human element back into that early stage of the drug discovery process seems to be fundamentally important. And I think that's now realized uh, in, in the field. So back to me, to us, when we were struggling with uh, long protocols, uh, Marius Wernick, um, a professor at Stanford, um, he, he essentially published a study showing that you can turn skin cells into brain cells. And then he showed another study that you can turn liver cells into, into, into brain cells. And to me, um, you know, I, it just felt our whole concept of cell identity, what, what makes a cell, how do you get a cell uh, has to shift and change. And we jumped onto that bandwagon of cell reprogramming, uh, we got heavily criticized for doing so. Um, we sort of leaned Why who? out. Out of interest. Well, I think colleagues who thought this is sort of a glitch uh, in biology, it's not something that I don't think, I think the, it has certainly changed over the last sure. year, um, 10 years or so. But, but at that point in time, it was very, it was something um, very niche. And, um, and in fact, you know, I bet more or less my scientific career on it, uh, we, we leaned out, we wanted to generate a protocol that we can use to program oligodendrocytes. Uh, and it turns out this is an incredibly tough cell to program. Um, and it's still not 100% there, but we've made some good progress. But having to um, you know, deal with that difficult cell, we had to, ex we, we sort of explored barriers that we, th we, that we knew and encountered before anyone else has, which allowed us to think about solutions before anyone else you know had uh, had even thought about this so we encountered a phenomenon called gene silencing which essentially is the immune system of a cell they recognize that they don't want a foreign dna or or information so they shut it down and so we we found a way over four-year period together with help from our institute and uh, and, and and even even further to to trick cells to accept a new genetic program. So we created OptiOx, which is a control system that you plug into a cell, so to speak, and, it, and then you can control it. You can instruct it to become any cell type that you want. Wow. You can instruct it to create, uh, you sort of to follow any sort of a genetic program you wish. Wow. I never thought, I literally never thought that we were able to do this. Um, and when we first tried it out, when we sort of had some preliminary evidence based on, you know, um, on, on experiments that this could work, when we actually implemented it to create our first set of brain cells, neurons, I was, I was blown away. So mm -hmm. there's some videos that showcase that. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really believe in it, I thought, um, this is a Photoshop uh, April trick of my students, but, but actually it turned out to be a real. Uh, and then of course the platform grew. We, we did more cell types, more genetic backgrounds. Um, I then realized that this is something that's much more broadly applicable. And it became the foundation of BitBio and the, and the foundation of, of, of Meetable. And, and both companies really have now taken off and uh, are pushing um, this, um, this technology, which really, Un unlocks you know that technical issue of getting enough cells with the right kind of specification um, into into your lab or hopefully soon into your clinic it's an amazing story and obviously it ends 
with the two companies, so BitBio and Meetable. Right. Meetable being, you know, meat cultures and and fake meat, if you will. Um, I would say it's true meat, but uh, raised outside of an animal. There we go. I've learned something today. And that is well phrased. I've, I've actually watched uh, a couple of documentaries on that. So definitely yeah. want to talk to you about that because we were talking before, weren't we? It's like, is this health tech? Can we talk about this on the health podcast? But we can, because how did you phrase it? It's health for the planet. Uh, I think so. I think Meetable really is uh, is a health solution for, for the planet. If you think about why it's necessary, it's greenhouse gases, it's overuse of antibiotics, it's high density uh, farming. It's one of the reasons why we are having this COVID crisis because there's too much, you know, um, uh, translation from, of, of pathogens from, from other species yeah. to, 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 to humans. So um, I think solving that uh, it's not a new idea. I think Churchill actually already introduced uh, wow. <laughs> the idea of, of, of uh, growing ch- chicken breasts or, or uh, wow. outside of uh, out of uh, outside of uh, animals. Um, but definitely, I think it, it is it, it can provide something hugely valuable. Um, so before we go into de- in depth about this, about the companies, I want to take right. us right back and just a comment really that. I think it's really interesting the skill set that you've put together and the and the lines of work that you're involved in, because obviously as a practicing neurosurgeon, you right. see, I suppose, the problem at its source, which is a patient that needs a treatment, whether that's a surgery, whether that's a medication, whether that's right. both, whether that's a full you know treatment pathway, whatever it is, but you see that problem there. But then you also know the the stem cell biology. And I think it's one of those things in research. Research often becomes a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche that you end up so micro in what you're doing, as as you've talked about, you know, taking different cells of rats and trying to do funny things with them with funny fluids in a lab, in a wet lab and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, many people, I suppose, are quite far from where that actually does end up affecting patients, but you can see that. And I think that's really interesting because one theme that we tend to talk about on this podcast quite a lot is motivation because for people to get up in the morning and as, and and like you're doing five different day jobs, it's interesting to me, the different things that motivate people to do that, whether it's a personal experience, whether they have a family experience and, and particularly in healthcare, healthcare seems to be a huge motivator for different reasons, but I find the clinician entrepreneurs interesting because like yourself, they are connected to the problem in that they have seen it and they see it every day. They see it and they feel it. They feel it in their patients, in the families that they end up speaking to, that they talk about, as I'm sure you have, you know, paralysis yeah. and those sorts of conversations. Yeah. And when it comes to motivation, I find that people often end up in entrepreneurship from medicine because they're they're seeking to just solve the problem themselves. They just They've seen the problem enough and they just want to solve it. And you've done the same because you've not only ended up in entrepreneurship, you've actually gone via learning all about stem cell biology so that you kind of see both. You see the problem and you see the solution. And it's interesting to me because that's how, um, I mean, you did maths and then medicine. So you're, you're familiar with doing different things other than medicine, but 
it seems to be a relatively newer trend that lots more people are doing this. They're doing medicine and computer science, and then they do a ward yeah. around and they're like, right, I could code a million things here that will improve this. Or they do medicine yeah, and true. engineering. And then they think, oh, I can build a load of things that can, that can solve these problems. And so it, it's interesting to me that you've got all of that. You've got, you know, the, the knowledge of the problem connected to the patients in your neurosurgery practice, and you still do practice which I suppose gives you that extra motivation to then do the stem cell biology and then obviously to translate that into a, into a, a function that can actually scalably get to patients, which is a company. So I just think that's interesting. I don't know. Would you agree with that in terms of your motivation? Is that what keeps you going to do all these different day jobs? I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, seeing that uh, there needs to be something done uh, and knowing that the has to be there is a solution um puts me into i think i feel very privileged to be honest mm. being able to you know perhaps connect the dots uh, mm. and 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 work on improving improving something uh um, improving outcomes for for patients that that i know but also beyond that so yeah i'm, I'm just very lucky i guess <laughs> and you've worked hard so it's always a mixture of the two from what i've gathered from interviewing 200 entrepreneurs on this um i want to talk to you about something technical now because in what you've described essentially where we got to in the story was that you are programming cells to do different things to become other types of cells you're programming oligodendrocytes you know brain cells that's me trying to show the audience that i still remember things from medicine (laughs) (laughs) so i'm going to ask a really stupid question and by the way regenerative medicine this idea that you can regenerate the human body using its own tissue and stem cells you know that's what we're talking about here as a technology so this is how we're talking about this on this podcast i'm interested in in how in practically what does that look like? What are you actually doing to a cell so mm-hmm. that you can then, it can then turn itself, I imagine, into other cells? What practically yeah. is going on here? Um, yeah, so um, what we're doing is strictly synthetic biology. So this concept of engineering biology rather than following traditional paths of, of biology. And um, I guess after 20 years of stem cell research where we've made great progress, but really weren't able to put a lot into the clinic, um, we can, I think the field is coming to the conclusion that a different angle uh, might be required. Um, And so the power of regenerative medicine, of course, is to to the, the realization that every condition, every disease starts at a cellular level. So it has to have a solution at the cellular level. And this might be introducing cells that are not, uh, not affected by the, by the disease because they have a different genetic structure or they can replace uh, cells that have been lost uh, during a condition. Now, how do we solve something that's been a big bottleneck. And, and really, this is really the combination of stem cell biology with synthetic biology. And it's that concept of programming and that new realization that, um, that cell identity is, is not what we used to think. A history of events during 
during embryonic development. So when an embryo develops, obviously you start with the stem cell and then they create um, different cell types and, and, the, and the embryo evolves with time. And, uh, and, and that's, a, for us, it's a nine month process until we are born. So it takes, it takes time. Uh, it's very complex. Uh, biology needs to make sure that we don't miss a cell type uh, and, uh, and that we, or, or an organ, which would be terrible. Uh, and so what biology has done is it sort of created a framework by which stem cells make decisions based on chance events, on stochastic events. Literally a stem cell sort of gives rise to more what's called differentiated cell types based on, on ratios uh, of, uh, of, you know, different cell types. And of course, um, chance events uh, and now industrial production really are at odds. There's, there's a huge disconnect. So if you buy into that paradigm, um, that was the fundamental basis of um, stem cell research, uh, trying to repeat what happens during development, you are countering two, two huge bottlenecks. The first one is it takes long as we discussed. And the second one is you're accumulating multiple steps at which chance events uh, occur, which essentially means you get inconsistent production. And that's really, that's really why we haven't, you know, that's one of the biggest bottlenecks that we have, have encountered. Now, cell programming doesn't consider the history of a cell. It actually looks at what genes are on in a particular moment in a particular cell. And the hypothesis is that that program that's on defines what the cell is. And so, if you want to change the cell, you need to change the program. And so that's exactly what happened when, when Shinya Yamanaka, you know, took a, stin, a skin cell and programmed it back into a stem cell. In fact, the knowledge that that might be possible goes back to 1980s when Weintraub, Lazar Davis did the first experiment in the Hades of molecular biology, they found they found what they later called MyOD, a transcription factor, and they saw that if you activate this, other cells turn into muscle cell. Wow. But that information got lost. Wow. Uh, and, and only resurfaced around 2006, seven. And then of course, the field started to grow. Now, what we, what we have done um, so there's still one bottleneck. So th this new new paradigm allows you to go into a new cell type relatively fast. Actually, one order of magnitude faster within days rather than weeks or months. But there's still an issue because you had to use viruses uh, that you had to transfect to in order to jumpstart that new program. And that's not very good. If you think about it, having viruses in cells is not good. Um, the second thing is even if you go into other technologies like transposons, what you see, you're sort of, you're seeing a lot of stochasticity again. So um, chance events, you, you, don't, you, you don't have a lot of control and some cells convert very efficiently, others don't convert very efficiently. And it, that again means you get a mixed bag of cells, which is not very good for a product. And so what we've done is we created this control system that we call OptiX, optimized overexpression system essentially. And 
we are, it's really a gene engineering approach. Um, so we rely on giants um, that, have dis- that have discovered CRISPR, although mm. we're not dependent on CRISPR, we can use other sure. sort of genetic engineering approaches. And what we do, we insert the code that needs to be activated in what are, what are called genetic safe harbors. And these genetic safe harbors are stretches in the DNA that somehow are protected. I have no idea why. I don't know why they <laughs> exist. They exist in mice. They exist in other species. They, they exist in human beings. If you use them, you can engineer a cell. Uh, and that's what essentially what we've discovered. And that's then driven, you know, um, the, 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 the sort of the work that we've done. Um, as I said, I was hugely skeptical when I f- first saw the, 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 the outputs of, 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 of my, my, my students and couldn't believe, uh, um, couldn't believe what I saw. We tried it again and again, it worked. And then we tried to submit the work to journals and the journals didn't think it was real. <laughs> so, so we had tough, it was really tough to actually publish it. But now, of course, you know, uh, as we have evolved, BitBio has now two um, products out that um, for the first time allow um, big pharma and CROs to uh, use human cells for high throughput screening applications. They do, they test millions of compounds to, to create new drugs. And, uh, and of course, we are very excited to sort of now take, uh, take this into, into the clinic. So talk to me about that bit, about taking yeah. it into the clinic. So how then, because what we're talking about here is obviously just re- reprogramming cells and creating groups of other cells. Yeah. How does that now link back, talking about you know the motivation behind this, how does that link back to solving a specific problem for a patient? Yeah. So, so I'm not able at the moment to talk about the concrete program. Sure. Um, or the programs that we're launching yet. But, but he, here's what the problem is. For any cell therapy at the moment, um, including or cell, cell ther- cell-based therapeutics um, more generally, um, you um, and the cell therapies that we currently have are focused on immune cells in cancer. You have the issue of getting enough cells, sufficient quality and sufficient uh, product definition. And um, the basis of this at the moment is taking patient cells, engineering them and putting them back into patients. Uh, And on one hand, the progress that that we've made here is incredible. We can now cure people from, for example, blood cancers that have failed every other treatment. Um, These cells can just wipe them out. But in other cases, we've seen difficulties like cytokine storms, you know, side effects, which are related to poor definition of products. So there's cells in there that shouldn't be in there. Uh, and it's and you can't control this when you take patient cells, it's very difficult. Um, and the second thing is um, scale uh, and then price. Now these are, ext- the, the price of these therapies is, is astronomic, um, you know, Five hundred thousand dollars, you know, three hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds for treatment. That's not something. That's one that won't unlock this paradigm of regenerative medicine. What we need to do is we need to take, we we need to 
you know, create a technology that, you know, democratizes access to human cells. Um, and, and here, the only way of doing this is to take, um, going back to the stem cell, because that is a source that never dies, you know, it's an endless supply of cells and, and being able to control it. And, and now we're back with, with BitBio. So what, to, what, we, what we do is we create cells that have potential, for example, to integrate uh, and fix um, tissues um, and at a scale uh, and uh, at a price that hopefully will sort of unlock the use of these uh, of these uh, strategies m much broader it's a bit it's a big problem isn't it the price of those therapies like car t yeah um it, it's a it's a huge issue um i i know you know i've seen you know the bits about emily whitehead who got cured from leukemia but you're right you know half a million dollars per patient is not particularly scalable and therefore yeah. we have to get to a point where those therapies are indeed scalable and there are people attacking it from the manufacturing costs angle obviously you're thinking of doing this by creating the cells via a different mechanism yeah there's lots I think of this is really where where, where synthetic biology comes uh, mm. to, to fruition. This this idea of engineering a cell rather than sort of mm. culturing or treat you know treating it. It's really you know take over control and instruct it to do what you want to do so that it doesn't it can't escape and do that in a way that is scalable. Mm. And I think that's what uh, what. Uh, the promise of our technology certainly can deliver. And we can see already scale that goes far beyond the requirements of cell therapy on the cultured meat side. I mean, literally we're pushing into, you know, kilo and then ton range uh, on, on that side, which essentially means we should be able to manufacture any kind of amount of cells that you might need for cell therapy. And the system is so scalable that even with the most bare setup, you don't even have to go into complex bioreactors. You can create billions of cells in a, in a very short time period. So, so the hypothesis here is to, as you said, change the paradigm in order to, to fix, you know, product definition, precision, function, scale, um, so I feel like we know each other well enough for me to ask this now. So <laughs> I, I'm interested. F you have a few different views of this space from a clinician, from a biologist, arguably from a mathematician. You know, there's lots of different ways that, that you're viewing this and also simply as a human being. I'm interested in, and this question's around ethics, right? Right. Because when you talk about engineering a, a human, like a, a cell, a, a living cell to do what you want you as a human so the human is is reprogramming mm -hmm. synthetically a cell to do what you want mm -hmm. now i've intentionally said that in a bit of a pejorative way to to mm -hmm. sort of bait you into a response but where do you sit on ethically are we are you okay with that like that's what we're here to do we're here to reprogram cells into what we want and that's the way to solve loads of problems for human beings and that's okay 
clearly we're doing it in animals for meatable and that has loads of benefits and there's a there's a, obviously ethics around greater good and, and all these yeah. different things but it's 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 interesting to me because it, it, we're at the we're at the at the frontier now of the the board between the known and the unknown as to we're doing these things for the first time you you're in an incredibly exciting space having discovered some of this technology and having the ability to do so how does that make you feel with the ability to do what you can do well i think um, you touch a really very important aspect here um you know what do we do with it and right. and and also is uh, what are the what's the ethical context of this and one of the first things that we've done for bitbio is essentially set up an ethics board um which is headed by uh, professor Cordini sega and she's a sort of well known lawyer in sort of sustainability issues and we did this because we wanted to have early checks and balances um conceptually but also all the way to within the company how do we deal with conflict um and that's been tremendously helpful and a huge guidance and and then to the sort of so that's one thing realizing that we have to be sensitive and yeah. have to take ethical issues very very seriously the next thing that you that you've asked is um how do i feel about engineering cells um mm. and reprogramming cells and one of the one of the things that a message that um that i really very much like um was an idea of of Albert Schweitzer um he was actually um he must have had a very similar language deficit as i <laughs> being non native yeah, but more, more sort of primary german speaker but he actually um was an organist uh, and a philosopher uh, and um in in oxford and he sort of came up with this concept of um respect for life as such um um is actually beyond respect it's more you know being an or um mm. i think his german word was ehrfurcht and and i think that that should be a guiding principle every life form that requires respect uh and has has value in itself now where i sort of draw a bit of a boundary i would say doing what I, what we're doing is the individual cell of a multinucleated organ multicellular organism um because that doesn't really work outside of that context and in fact actually you can take cells out of a individual just think of a blood draw without changing you know the individual and then based on that blood draw we can actually create new cells stem cells which is then reprogram and so we're sort of 
I feel we're one step removed from one, what is an, an, an individual, and you could argue a, a single cell organism is an individual. When we talk about cells um, that are sort of outside of their usual context, um, and then, then it, if, if you accept that as a, a baseline, then the ethical question um, changes to what do you do with that? Uh, and then here, again, I think we've got to be very careful. And one thing that I don't want to ever go into is sort of engineering um, the germline. So, you know, engineering, you know, babies. And that, that's something I, I definitely am going to stay away from. But now using the insight that we have to turn cells into intelligent drugs, I think is, I feel is the right thing to do. Mm. We went from small molecules to biologics, which are essentially proteins that the body yeah, creates, fair. like insulin. Yeah. And now we're, we're, we're sort of going one step up, we're using cells, which is the next more complex sort of organization uh, in, a, in, 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 a, in an organism and engineering, engineering them. But absolutely, I think we have to be sort of aware of the boundaries. And I think any progress in science, I think has to be embedded into a ethical context and conversation. And that's certainly something that, that we're very interested in driving forward. I do love that idea of the respect and the awe of life. I, I, I do like that as a framework because as you know as a guiding principle you're not going to go far wrong if you maintain that i think for me when it comes to this sort of technology you know whenever you assume any incremental improvement in anything there is an inevitability that somebody is going to discover a new a new technology this new technology the next new technology there is an inevitability to that mm. and i think it is the responsibility of those that are good, that have good intentions, that wants to do things for the right reasons to go out and discover this before anybody else does, like yourself, who are then going to put it into an ethical framework, who are then going to set up you know, an ethics board to make sure that you're held to account on the ethics and, and that you're allowed the, you know, the ability to think about it and, and make the right decisions because of it, all those different things. So I, I really like that. And it's nice to hear that, you know, it's a really structured approach. It's an actual a real kind of, um, it's a definitive approach to, to the ethics of it rather than just sort of how you feel. It's, it's, it's a nice framework that you have behind it. Um, the last question that I have for you though, before we wrap up is I suppose around, around the future of this and how close is the future is, is I suppose my main question. And mm -hmm. if we take those two companies, if we take BitBio, and we take uh, Meetable. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we, we now know what you're trying to do with both of those companies. It seems very futuristic. It seems <laughs> very, you know, like a thousand years time, like these sorts of things. But actually, it seems it, it's probably a lot closer than that. So you tell me, where, where, how close are we to a reality where BitBio is creating new 
live livable lived drugs for patients mm-hmm. um alive mm-hmm. that's what i was looking for alive drugs for patients. Right. and and how close is uh cultured meat available uh going to be hitting our shops um you know a few years ago i would have said this is futuristic um now i can tell you it's happening mm. it's happening now um bit is in the process of actually doing the work that leads into the clinic um, wow and it's going to be not very far off. Um, we've got very ambitious timelines. We're going to announce them, but uh, it's it's happening right now. Uh, is the answer to that? And equally with Meetable, you know, it's happening. I mean, they are sort of pushing towards first product, um, and they they've done incredible, uh, quite frankly. And why is this possible right now? And that brings me back to that change in paradigm. It's because we embrace principles of synthetic biology, this engineering approach, do, fail, iterate faster and faster, tab into new ways of looking at things, machine learning, you could call it artificial uh, AI. As, As a human being, as long as you, when you, for example, do complex experiments, we are not, we can't cope with the information that we can read out of an experiment anymore. So you need assistance systems like ML to help you make sense of what you create. But exactly that, that engineering, which is essentially relies on two pillars. One pillar is having control uh, and the other pillar is being able to predict what might happen um, is driving this incredible progress that we see across biotech and in potential. And, uh, And in particular, I think also uh, in the two companies uh, that uh, that I've been sort of part of and part of. Um, and by the way, I think that's an old recipe because if you think about physics, um, you know, there was a phase when we looked at the stars and we, and we <laughs> observed and then, and then a chap called, uh, came along called Newton and he said, hey, <laughs> I've got this formula, uh, a set of maths that describes uh, what I'm observing and now I can tell you how long it'll take until you know that apple drops uh, from the tree so it's certainly suddenly being able to look into the future and if you've got that as a framework even if it's not complete yet you can iterate much faster and then all these magical things happen that happened during the last you know few hundreds of years in terms of technical process progress all the way to us sitting on a computer my gut feeling is that this biology revolution would be even stronger. You know, I think already at the very, very early stage, we see a cell therapy that, that is the version one, version 0.1, wiping out cancers. We've only sort of scratched the surface. I, I liken this to this sort of brother white flight. What's happening right now is that we understand the principles much deeper. We have those control systems. We ha- we can actually engineer cells the way uh, that we think will drive success uh, in the clinic. And we are in a position where we have huge amounts of things that, where, that we learned. We learned what doesn't work and we learn why certain approaches have failed. And quite frankly, Getting ourselves into the clinic is a massive endeavor. 
And so we're obsessed about thinking what could go wrong and trying to you know, come up with reasons why this could fail and, and, and then working through, working through the science to, to actually make it work. And I'm very positive, to be honest. I think, the, you know, uh, yeah, it, 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 I'm very excited of what's coming. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. What a note to end on. Um, I think it's it's so cool what you're up to. I think I, I love the fact that at the end of the day, you still see patients and you're you're literally building solutions to their problems through synthetic biology and you're combining so many different outrageous skill sets in your life, which must lead to a wonderful, varied and exciting existence, especially at the frontier of all the synthetic biology stuff. It's such a cool space to be in biotech and health tech. Um, Final, final, final question. If people want to get in touch with you Mm -hmm. um, or follow uh, your companies or your work, what's the best way for them to to reach you or, or find out different things about what you're up to? So we're working very hard uh, on uh, increasing our presence, uh, obviously, um, whether that's in the press or uh, over social media. Um, and of course, if anyone has specific questions, um, we've got a company website, you can reach out uh, and, and get in touch and uh, um, if there's anything specific to me, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to read it. Awesome. And I will put the links to Mark's companies and everything that he's up to in the description of this episode. So Mark, thank you so much for joining. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, James. Uh, um, I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.